Yeah, so basically <laughs> yesterday, not yesterday, what fucking day is it? On Friday I had oral surgery. Um, I guess thank you for saying uh, wonderful um, soft sounds there of, uh, of, of sympathy. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I think it's just funny because <laughs> Alex came with me to get my wisdom tooth out because I was freaking the fuck out. And uh, then we went and got a smoothie afterwards and I had to use a straw. And like one side of my face was dripping and she just laughed at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I have no sympathy. <laughs> I sent you a photo of my droopy face. We're even now. It was very droopy the whole day. It was creeping me out. <laughs> I know, but you were laughing at me in person. I think that was pointing. Yeah, that was pointing. <laughs> oh. Welcome to Lol My Praxis. <laughs> <laughs> this is the organic introduction we do. Uh, so today we're talking with the wonderful Dr. Jen Baker about dead children. And now we're going to play you our wonderful intro to the episode because I, I feel it's about time Louise do you feel yeah, similarly feel. so um the way it's working is that we craft a kazoo jingle specifically for guests so we'd like you to to guess your jingle and uh, Alex is going to perform it because I had no fucking idea what it was uh, <laughs> you have to guess what it is and why it's relevant to today's episode <clears throat> are we ready it's, it's a very serious podcast yeah um I would also like to be very clear my partner is on an actual business call in the next room it's gonna be great okay <laughs> Thoughts. Uh, okay. Oh, it sounds like some sort of children's TV program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. About Casper. Um. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I had no fucking clue. I was like, let's just do a funeral march on a kazoo. No, it's good. The problem with the funeral march is I always do the um, Darth the Vader one. Oh, okay. yeah, all the wedding <laughs> march. That's yeah, it. That's that's definitely Darth Vader. Or... Yeah. <laughs> Fine. That's why we kept with Casper instead. Yeah. And also, we both used to do it, but then we realized that when we were trying to sync audios over the internet, it was just like a massive kazoo that just made nothing. <laughs> Um, it's like a child playing a recorder over and over. Exactly. That's what we wanted. That's the entire vibe of the whole podcast. <laughs> it's just children the, playing with equipment they shouldn't be playing with. Oh, I'd like, I'd, I love love the like recorder parodies of like serious songs. Have you seen the guy that's done like a full video? I mean, it's a really old video to the to Titanic, and he plays it on the recorder, and it's like mm. it's it's got the karaoke backing track as well so you've got all the like <laughs> echoes and he's he's done a full video of he's like there's the scenes where he's like holding a rose and where he's like <laughs> just like like doing little jumps as he's playing the recorder it's it's art like yeah. i've I mean, seen someone who makes the recorder out of fruit maybe it was a sweet or maybe a sweet potato and he played Ooh. toto's africa on it <laughs> and it was like spot on like yeah <laughs> I'm, I, I was uh, working in um, uh, like a, basically like around the corner for me. Someone has gone down south for the whole of lockdown, and I've been using their flat sometimes. Um, and <laughs> I noticed that. No, no, they know. They know I'm there. Or am I haunting it? Who knows? Um, but one, one of the DVDs that I found because I was snooping. Sorry. Um, 
it was just like Toto live in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, the only DVD in the flat. <laughs> That's it. That's all they have. Just Toto live in Poland. Like, wow. It's a real commitment. It's like what a good gig. Their world or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all the famous gigs in all mm-hmm. of history. ACR. We're kind of wanting to celebrate how ridiculous academia is. Basically, people take things too seriously, and that needs to fucking stop. <laughs> it's a shitstorm. But also, <laughs> it's not such a shitstorm for you at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us about all the good things. Oh, no. I, I like, I hate all the. I really love the good, the good stuff. News. I hate the good stuff. I love the, I love the like, the, the drugginess of the good news. Like, I live off it and then when it goes away I'm like I'm so grumpy and despondent but I'm also like no no don't look at me don't talk to me about the good things don't look um, at me but look at me but look at me no no don't um, look at me just look at me <laughs> that is actually pretty much me I think mm-hmm. I'm like please don't but do why aren't you looking at me, why aren't you looking at me? so yes I have won the golden ticket to the chocolate factory of academia I believe <laughs> You're right in calling it a factory, that's for sure. And also right in the punishing of children. Very 19th century mill of the North style. The children just clogged in the machines and sort of thing, coming out broken. (laughs) You can learn about that in my new book that I will be publishing. See how I segued then really seamlessly. It's very good. segue. (laughs) Yeah, Edinburgh University Press today send me a contract so oh yeah it's exciting do you get to choose a really good image for the front of the book like this is honestly like i know everyone's like oh judge judge a book by its cover i 100 percent judge a press by its cover like fuck rutledge and they're like weird blue line Mm -hmm. i do already have images that i'm they haven't even mentioned that yet but i've already decided i'm gonna fight that corner so i was gonna offer myself as looking like quite a creepy victorian child but i mean it's fine i'll just keep those photos tempting i think you could probably have quite a good side hustle louise by just posing for academic book (laughs) oh my god imagine it'd be like america's next top model and they'd be like smizing for praxis (laughs) i'm genuinely really excited about that (laughs) because i've got like two doppelgangers in life because obviously like carrie from the classic horror film carrie and i look like the ghost of christmas past in the muppets version Mm, if you google that so like i've got a niche can you do that weird voice it does as well where it's like hello oh it's just like the creepiest i mean i could but it's funnier to make you do it yeah. <laughs> well, creepy kids are just, you know, creepy kids in my bag. So um, I study them. I mean, all kids are creepy, but then there's that particular end that are creepier than others. And that's one of them. Does it make you really concerned, just like for the future, if you ever thought about having children, that you would literally give birth to the Antichrist? It's probably why I haven't. And I've considered yeah. not at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's fucking terrible. To be honest, like, even if I didn't think they were evil and weird, I'm gonna, it's going to get a bit serious now, but, like, you know, when you read about all this, when you read about child death so much, there's a bit of you like, oh, my God. Like, I was devastated, and as you would be, when my Willow's brother, ours, my, my cat Willow, her brother um, got taken from us two years ago, and I still 
freak out about it. So I thought of a person, and I think, nah, it's just not worth it. Like, yeah, it's just, a, and I defend her fiercely from like any attack. She has a curfew. She's not allowed near the road. So that's enough, that's enough for me, I think. Uh, well, my cat's forever indoors. Oh, she got out once when she went missing on the roof because we were meant, I think, was it you I was meant to be meeting? And yes. Uh, <laughs> And we could find her, and she was on the roof, and like seagulls were dive bombing her, and she was just. I there, just saw like, this image from it. You sent me a photo, being like, "I found her," and it's just this like little <laughs> tiny like in, in the like on top of the roof. <laughs> Those seagulls are scary as well. They like there was that that incident in. <laughs> It's not funny. In um, Devon, <laughs> Devon or Cornwall, where like a seagull took off with a, sh- a chihuahua, and, like last year. I mean, chihuahuas aren't dogs, though, so it's fine. Well, well yeah, but uh, but you know, I'm fond of rodents as well. So you know, the, my cat's quite small. She's very small for a, a compared to the other cat. She's like tiny. So I think they could they could take her if they wanted to. <laughs> I see much of them like ganging up just in the garden like we'll take her one day boys. <laughs> it'd be raging they'd be working from home because they'd be like oh she's protected right now. <laughs> <laughs> People have to work at home from children at the moment I just they, they do have my utmost sympathy because you know I do love Willow but god she moans at me all the time like <laughs> all this just comes in and just moans so. So do you think child death is an option? Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that like seventies film, Spanish film? Like who would kill a child? Um, mm-hmm. And I think I watched that film and thought, yeah, anyone, anyone would be. <laughs> I mean, they're like raging homicidal maniacs. So yeah, any qualms you had about them being children quickly would go out the window there. So. Yeah, with this subject, I just find that often I go to places and I get really excited. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I deal with dead kids. And they're all like, uh, okay. Why are you so happy? <laughs> like that. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. Or I, you know, I sort of try to talk about the lighter side of it. And people are like, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. And it's, oh, what I, is no- the lighter side of dead children, Jen? Yeah, Can you give us an um, insight? Sometimes it's just the bad writing. Like, it's just <laughs> the poor. Uh, and they're only, you know, I read loads of elegies and they just use the same, the same thing over and over. And, it, I, you know, it's a bit eye rolling. And I think that I feel, I feel bad because those people lost their child and they're trying to express it through the medium of poetry. But some of them are such shit poets that um, <laughs> it's offensive to the child. Like, just do you have a favorite line? No, but they're obsessed with like clusters of curls and clusters of curls make me think of like a different area. Yeah, clusters is not a word I would associate with like children in like a positive sense. Like maybe more like you know clusters of disease or like <laughs> they're obsessed with this idea of having like a crown of curls, like a kind of halo type thing. And yeah, it's just I think did they even have curly hair or did you just like? You wish they'd had curly hair, but yeah. Who's the shittest poet you've yet had to come across? Oh, I don't know. They're all like random. I mean, you get the the big names, so like Whitman and you know all the, all the novelists whose children, Margaret Oliphant and people like that. Mm. And then you just get random, just random people who have 
written into domestic magazines with their little elegies. They're just weird, and sometimes they they're like the the dead children talking from heaven, like mm-hmm. about how shit their parents are being at honoring their memory. <laughs> Like, stop crying over me. I can't sleep in heaven. And yeah, it's just <laughs> get over it. Mom. They are like, get over it because they're, they're, you know, the, the, the belief is meant to be that God, they're with God now. So mm-hmm. they're happy in heaven. And you are just being miserable and ruining it for me by, <laughs> by crying all the time. And in fact, that's the wor- that's worse than that is there's a load of introductions that are like usually written by men, shockingly, to women what? saying, woman, stop crying, you terrible <laughs> mother. And they'll be like, look at Mrs. X, she's an example of um, how you are supposed to live your life and go on and be wonderful and um, yeah, just really bad mouthing people who cared about their children because they're saying you should just accept it. Is it sort of like, yeah, like, oh, you know, look at this fantastic mother. She's gone back to work straight away and she's pregnant again. What a pack horse. We <laughs> <Yeah>. love her. <laughs> well, she shouldn't be working, Alex. I mean, Please. I was talking about domestic labour and recognising it as work. Sorry. You should have a servant to do that. Oh, I see. see, see. You should also feel guilt about having a servant to do that. Is it because only children should be working? I don't don't do the Victorians, so I just assume every child is like working in a workhouse. And yeah, but the middle class, they don't want the children working at all. They want them to just be eternal children. And dying is excellent for being an eternal child because now... Ah, true. Problem solved. Yeah. I mean, puberty, like, bye. Like, you don't have to worry (laughs) about, like, trying to develop breasts with a corset that's crushing you. Yeah, you have to worry about clusters of other types later on, you know. Well, yeah, and Judith Judith plots in her, she's got an article and she talks about basically, she and Kimberly Reynolds elsewhere are basically saying the Victorians are just, they're well up for child death. They're like, they're they're getting a bit sexual over it, in fact. Like, they just want children to die. Like, it's like rapturous, (laughs) like... You know, you know, like at the end of the turn of the screw when she like holds Miles and it's like, oh, he's dead, but there's some weird orgasmic moments there that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, the suggestion <laughs> is the Victorians have been doing that all the time. It just mm-hmm. has, hasn't been as explicit. Nobody except Henry James went, mm, that's a bit weird. Um, so I'm going to write that down. Um, and equally, the return of the screw is really fucking weird. I mean, like, like the sort of overtones of paedophilia in that are just like, well, overtones, undertones, it's all through it. Like tones. Just just tones. Just tones. Pedo tones. Um <laughs> technical term. Um you can cite me in your upcoming monograph with EUP. Yeah. Um I think that's the blurb, isn't it? Like that's yeah. that's the, the back matter sorted. Yeah, that's really. the title, Pedo Tones by Jane Baker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's already a weird, very weird book, James Kincaid's um Victorian erotic children or something like that um got it on my bookshelf of course damn sexy kids (laughs) (laughs) erotic innocence that's it yeah sorry erotic innocence the culture of child molesting oh it just got worse but there is that huge thread isn't there like victorian erotica where the whole thing is like this not only the, the deflowering but the fact that like they haven't developed in the first place so that's that whole like 
what's it called the um wt steads like investigative journalism and modern babylon yes the maiden tribute of modern babylon which is just the most over the top like title ever but i mean it is pretty brutal my favorite thing about that is just that he he did the crime in order to expose the crime it's like i'm going to show you how anyone can buy a child for sex by buying a child for sex <laughs> and then he gets arrested <laughs> and then they're like well it was an expose and i think it's like those people who do like was it who is the musician who was sort of like well i was just googling child pornography to t- show you where it was like i'm a hero it's like the lost prophets guy Oh, no, that, that was worse. Oh, it was God. awful. It was like, exactly. yeah. okay. That was a deal made with a, like a fan, wasn't it? And that there was the mother, mm-hmm. like obsessive fan. Oh, it was really, really horrendous. I mean, not uh, that as well. Selling your child for sex in the Victorian period. That's another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that Stead was like, these women are just giving away their children's virginity for, for money. So, mm. It's really, it's really light-hearted. <laughs> Kids these days don't know how easy they got it, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a great anecdote for you of when um, I was writing an article on on this James Kincaid and the, the paedophile figure in gothic narratives. And I took out a book from the library that was just called kiddie porn um but it was an academic it was an academic study um about someone who'd infiltrated those sort of pornography rings and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and i was taking it back and the fire alarm went off and i had to leave the book at the like station that you return the books in the library and i just thought i can just see it now like over the tannoy or something like can somebody return for their kiddie porn book or something and i was like and then i was thinking about how the fbi apparently in america they they can check your reading lists like to see if you're fascists and stuff they used to do that and i was like my god if they do that in this country like not just your internet searches but like the books you took out from the library i'm gonna be uh, under like some sort of surveillance before i know it i like to think that the academics that wrote that book would have thought about that when they're thinking about the title being like right let's make it really like dirty so that, like <laughs> as a byproduct of reading our book your students <laughs> like yeah i've always wanted a yellow car so that like kids would just punch each other when they see me driving down the street <laughs> Yeah, I like to think that they've got this kind of like vindictive streak and they're just like, yeah, fucking academic. So we would like your Tinder bio as a way of, uh, you know, compressing, accommodating, economizing on that kind of like biography. Um, So yeah, give us your academic Tinder bio and we would discuss whether or not we would swipe left. I think, isn't it straight, right? I, well, it, no, I don't know which way to swipe. Which way do you swipe? I think swipe right. I don't know. Because they're sure. right for you. Oh. Ah, and the then logic? left behind? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've just I've pulled that out of my arse, but I think so. That sounds like it's how they should explain it. But yeah, i just like to preface by saying that um, I, I left the term necrophilia out of there because I couldn't make it oh. sound on... I was going to say like textual necrophiliac, but um, yeah, it just didn't... Yeah. 
more of the surveillance that I was worrying about. So I've gone for what is <laughs> you say, you say, uh, my textuality is necrophilia. <laughs> yeah, um, I've toned it down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's definitely a swipe left then if you turn down. Oh, yeah. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. You know. <laughs> I guess they don't on Tinder. They don't give you a chance. <laughs> it's you've got one chance, and uh, mine is textual thanatologist with a penchant for dead kids oh strong thanatologist i like that i don't think i've ever even heard that word it's making me think of thanos as in like the avengers yeah or is it like thanatos like you know death drive yeah yeah somebody okay, right, who studies a- death is interested mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, i just in, in a really really kind of um very derivative way they've got like just listening to the sound of those words those are some like sensual words like mm. penchant, penchant. I, love, I love the word penchant use it whenever I can <laughs> I mean I think I would probably swipe right but not necessarily yeah. because I understood the words because it sounded cool yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I swipe right just because I'd be like what does thanatologist mean the abject I just like the idea of how people in the 19th century were obsessed with like killing off fictional child characters and what that meant like why were they doing that when they were also experiencing so much child death in real life i'm very very sad about it and making lots of memorials and uh, these sort of post-mortem portraits of children and pictures and and this idea of just being eternally a child which i think you know we can all get on board with to an extent the idea of like eternal childhood with free of responsibility i don't know i think kind of maybe eternally in my 20s but maybe not like an eternal child no, man, give me eternal 30s give me eternal 30s you know i'm gonna like you've got income maybe uh gonna have a house maybe could get a dog maybe like you know i just want yeah eternal 30s is great <laughs> Yeah, but I just think like if we lived in a world, if we lived in a world without those things, you know, where you didn't need like income houses and everything, you literally could just, someone was like, you can just play around and do what you want all day. Or will it be there be a sort of malaise about it eventually? Or because there's also that sinister side of it, like, surely that would get boring or feel somehow another form of imprisonment or not if you're a child like stuck in child consciousness and never know so I like that kind of weirdness of it that it's both considered blissful but also sinister in some way and I think that's still a big thing in our society and I wanted to see what the 19th century why were they doing this what was the obsession I think it's a really (laughs) strong point about the idea that the eternalization of a particular idea of the child as well because I mean do you focus only on the killing of certain not the killing the deaths the kind of memorializations of a certain type of child or did you kind of manage to look at different types of the child in memoriam as well yeah so like the elegies are very much middle class children that died of what they would sort of say of natural causes even if they feel like they should be preventable because medicine is moving on there's still diseases and there's there's not so much you can do mm-hmm. but then i also look at like you know children mangled in factory accidents 
accidents and by abusive parents. I love a good mangling. Is it just the glee in your voice there? (laughs) You know, these are the ones that die from dysentery and la 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 la, but this one, this one was crushed. There's a lot of poetry as well that is about child death in in the working class, but then they Mm -hmm. see they're less elegies as sort of political revolutionary, you know, they're they're more about sentimentalisation of and the outrage of for these children, whereas the elegies are, are actually more about the parents and their feelings of loss and helplessness. So basically, if, if there's a dead child, I'm on it. Dying children also, you know, I don't discriminate. So near death as well, that's good. Yeah, but if they recover, it's not, you know, not quite as not good. Ideal, but... But... The Ethics Committee have some concerns regarding grave robbing as a methodology. Can I take you back to the moment where you discussed the idea of, um, what was it, morning portraits? Like, is, is that the most batshit crazy morning practice that you've come across? Or are there other kind of creepier practices? I, it's hard now because when it fir- when I first came across it, yeah, I thought that's batshit crazy. But now I know that that was a very standard thing um if it was like sketching if they couldn't afford photography um Mm -hmm. and also there's a lot of material memorialization so i mean i suppose the weirdest one for me and this isn't really about memorialization it's much more sinister is the death mask of the last child and i said it in inverted commas last child hanged in britain so he was 14 and he was 13 when he committed the crime so he murdered another child for money basically because he was very poor and that was in 1831 so it's just pre-victorian but they did a death mask of him so that they could it's actually in edinburgh's the royal college of surgeons they've got everything there you can go and see him um john any bird bell his parents just took a fancy like now the sort of parents calling their kids like orange or something he's (laughs) that equivalent that they just took a fancy to that name but yeah so the death mask was taken to study his face and he's got a really babyish face which makes it even more disconcerting it actually makes me feel quite emotional for child death which is very unusual for me so maybe it's because it induces that feeling that it's so weird that i put it at the top of my list i mean i'm now just trying to google it and all that's come up is just pictures of contemporary masks because of the fucking pandemic yeah don't don't search for death mask in 2020 (laughs) i'm now just on a subreddit and apparently it's a pandemic and none of this makes any sense but yeah the post-mortem portraits most of those are as standard children usually lying on a bed or in a coffin um, and made to look as if sleeping and surrounded usually by flowers so there's very natural imagery in there there's a kind of myth circulating about how they used to prop their children up so that if you were having like a family photo but they had died (laughs) you could sort of still keep them but that's a very 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 rare and thing that didn't happen a lot at all they preferred the kind of more natural looking sleeping imagery than the sort of weird waxwork style (laughs) um images that often get circulated they're not as weird to me anymore as they were but i think a lot of people are still a bit like ooh. yeah there's also like the spiritualist movement as well i don't know how much you spiritualism and like mourning parents but that was one of the ways in which dodgy mediums would take advantage of mothers grieving mm-hmm. that was kind of one of the things reported at least in the press about 
spiritualism when it was on the rise. I don't know how much you went into sort of seance culture. Yeah, so there's definitely that being the impetus for many people going to spiritualists. And also a couple of spiritualists use child spirits as the sort of host. There's a really disturbing horribly racialized one i think it's called puka and it was like a young native indian girl and she would go around and kiss and sit on laps and stuff and i mean the weirdest thing obviously about that is that it was a real person pretending to be this child and people sort of suspended their disbelief and a few people who wrote texts about speaking to their child from the other side one i can't remember her name but wt stead who did the maiden tribute of martin babylon and died on the titanic actually wrote the preface to her spiritualist book saying it's definitely true it's a it's without a doubt she's she's telling the truth that she speaks regularly to her dead son using what's it called yeah but what's the other term planchette is it oh the planchette yeah yeah. it's the thing that runs along the the ouija board yeah so she talks about she doesn't actually speak to the child as in she doesn't hear his voice she does it through the board so yeah there's a few of those although that's not as big as i thought it was going as going to be in my research but yeah the spiritualist element is quite intense Cut my life into pieces. This is my research methodology. Which children in Victorian literature deserve to die, and why is the answer Pip? <laughs> well, you mean really who deserved to die, who didn't die, or who did die? Who deserves to die, and why is the answer Pip? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> oh, do you think Pip? I don't. I know. I know. If I think if I was gonna. Um, maybe baby David, but then that would be no point in personal history of David Copperfield if baby David died. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, um, it's very long, so could they do without it? <laughs> I think Oliver, um, I, sorry Dickens, Dickens is really getting the bashing, but you know, if you will put these children out everywhere, but probably Oliver, because he's more interesting in the book, but in, yeah, he's annoying singing voice. Um, he's like, I don't know, just that choir boy, like do 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 I just really wanna yes yeah, see him get run over by like a strawberry cart or something. <laughs> I'm a big musicals person, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no. Who will buy would be a fucking belter of a song. Yeah. If he didn't chime in at the end, <laughs> they're all like, shut up <laughs> Yeah. And they're all like dancing in the street with their milk pails and it's great yeah. and you've got like all this uh, Victorian society and then he chimes in with like oh put it in a parcel with a little bow and you're just like oh fuck yeah that woman who does that amazing any milk today but like much higher and then he just comes in and he just makes it shit that version of like the Victorian period just you know that's kind of what how my life is like it's in my head do you ever (laughs) like (laughs) like, that's how I perceive reality that beginning of um, who will buy and then he just shits all over it and also I'm like yeah I know he's obviously secret middle class but equally like that child actor why are they so obsessed with him why why adopt him Mr Brown though he's obviously a little shit but all all the interest in any child in the Victorian period makes me really suspicious now like because doesn't Miss Brown doesn't even know who he is and he's like I've taken an interest in you my boy and they're like whoa whoa why why have you taken an interest in him why what purposes what nefarious kiddie porn purposes 
because he has this innate goodness, i.e. he was born mm-hmm. in the middle class. Like, so we, we decided that Oliver was getting killed by a strawberry cart. But mm-hmm. what other, like, we were thinking about, like, maybe doing a top three of Victorian children that should have died and why and how they should die. So yeah, reasons and methods of death. We fucking hate Pip. He's just such a fucking entitled, like, he's your classic. Like, whenever I think about applying for anything, I'm just like, what would Pip do? Because Pip would just be like, yeah, I'm amazing. I've got like an anonymous benefactor who's obviously this like, you know, incredibly rich woman. And I'm totally entitled to the love of this woman. So I just put that energy into any application. Okay. Yeah. So the saying used to be like, yeah, go in with the confidence of a mediocre white man, but instead go in with the confidence of Pip. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Big Dickens energy. (laughs) As some might say. So yeah, top Victorian child characters. That should die. Um, oh god, all of them. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all of these children. Oh, Alice, Alice, Alice in Wonderland. She could just fuck right up. Oh, I hate her. She's so okay, smart. how would you? Okay, reasons. Reasons why? Go. Well, she's a spoiled little bitch. <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah. And when I watched Dream Child, um, which is a really fucked up film, if nobody's ever seen it, it's got in the late. Uh, Sir Ian Holm in it as Lewis Carroll, not Charles Dyson. Mm. And those girls are such little bitches to him. He's like, I mean, I know he's a bit creepy, but like <laughs> Dream Child portrays it is he's just a bit of a social recluse who wants to tell them stories and they just laugh at him and say horrible, mean things about him. And then to think he immortalizes her in this book, <laughs> you're a grateful cow. And then when she's in there, she just, I felt so sorry for all the animals that she was constantly I mean I talk about my cat a lot but she's like Dinah Dinah oh, Dinah would eat you to the mouse and he's like cheers like I've already got like existential <laughs> crisis going on and now you're talking to me about cat yeah it's kind of it's, that's quite rude that's a very good point about like oh my cat would eat you it's like it's like someone coming over to my house and being a bit like oh um yeah I'd kill you what? Or like something else that isn't there, just being like, oh, well, you know, cancer will kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. What? Like, what Which I control and own? No way. What? Yes. I mean, no one can control cats. I read this article about how she's basically like a colonialist oppressor. And since then, I can't unsee it. Like how she goes into Wonderland and just takes over all the spaces and demands to for everything to be as she wants. And like she, there's no, I don't want it to be like really simpering. I like the, the fact that she's not simpering. And I like at the end, she's like, screw you cards and like smashes them all to pieces. I'm down for the tantrum, but I'm just not there with her sense of entitlement. So sorry, Alice. Mm. in the bin with you but how would you kill her though <laughs> maybe in that caucus race they could have like run her over <laughs> we could go for a classic queen of hearts off with your mm-hmm. head but cutting her head off with a playing card so it takes fucking ages just hacking away at it yeah. continuously no the mouse would get its revenge and like infect her with the pox perfect no she'd be eaten by dinah she'd be like she'd go all small and her cat would eat her. And that's true, because that's a very cat thing and they definitely would do. Yeah. She'd be like, Dinah, it's mummy. And then the mouse could get yeah. big and take over yeah. Alice's life. <laughs> there we go. We've written, we've rewritten it. Okay, fantastic. So Alice is dead by being eaten by her own cat. Oliver run over yeah. by a strawberry cart. We've got one more. I mean, most of the ones I deal with are already dead. So, <laughs> like, can I re-kill them? Yeah, who, who would you resurrect just to kill again? <laughs> Probably little 
father time bloody June. Oh, I hate him so much. Oh my God. Like, Hardy is the classic example of if you give a child a creepy name, what the fuck do you expect? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for a moment I was thinking Tiny Tim, but I can't because he's Robin from the Muppets and I, I just don't want to do that to a Robin. I always thought like, you know, I always get the mix up as well, but like Lucy or whatever her name is, was it, is it like Lindsay and Lucy from, from um, you know, Rosetti and Goblin Market? Like, just oh, fucking Laura. let her die. She ate the fruit. Laura. Laura and Lucy. Just let her die. Yeah. God, the poem would be shorter as well. It wouldn't be that weird, like, you know, sexual, like, fruit orgy either. Just let her die. <laughs> or maybe, you know, let her enjoy sex. Maybe. Uh... No, oppression, Louise. You know how much I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it did come across as a bit of like, oh, she's been off having fruit, stay here. Like, no, just let, just let her go out. Just because you're not getting it. No, but I like the message of that because it's so absurd. (laughs) Why didn't they want the other sister? I've never thought about it, but why didn't they want... Oh, because one sister wasn't like a fruit slut. Oh. So she didn't deserve to die. It's only if you like a fruity whore that you deserve to die. Okay. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> this is how I teach There's only it. two types of women. Oh, yeah. Think about the binaries that oh, we must right, enforce. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think they both should have died, therefore negating the binary. I really hate um, Helen Burns because she's meant to be so fucking pious. And it's like, well, I mean, she is so fucking pious. That's the whole thing. And I'm just like, oh, shut up. I'd rather kill off Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is a child. Like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that I absolutely like... I need to read it again, really, but my overriding memory is loathing Jane Eyre. I hate... I hate the whole. <laughs> I hate the whole concept, and I hate how people are like. Oh, it's such a love story. What a fucking love story. Same with Wuthering Heights as well. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not. It's like just really weird shit. Like, I mean, at least Wuthering Heights has the nice ghosty gothic feel, but I hate the way that Jane actually ends up with Mr. Rochester. I don't care that you went blind. Sorry, Mr. Rochester. But like... <laughs> <laughs> but that levels the playing field, Jen. Surely that's enough. No? Yeah, but then it just feels like a really weird sexual thing where she's all... He's, I don't know. He's, he's so... Ugh. Oh, it's creepy as, but I mean, I'll tell you who I hate most in Jane Eyre. Bertha. Sinjin Rivers. <laughs> what a cunt. <laughs> Bertha is the fucking best bit in there. But Sinjin is the fucking worst. Also, I really hate the, like, to completely change the subject back to how Rochester's is a cunt. And it's just like, oh, Grace Poole, what a weirdo. Like, totally, like, just shifting all the focus onto Grace Poole. Yeah. Poor Grace Poole. It's exactly all of it is wrong. Is that because it's Victorian, right? Seriously applied ACR. So, what's your academic beef? Yeah, what's pissing you off? What isn't is the is the the titles thing, which I was discussing with somebody on Twitter the other week. It sounds really churlish, but it's actually I think really important, and particularly at the moment because we're in this sort of midsection where people aren't being hired for ref at the moment like not specifically for your research they don't want you for that and they're very aware that TEF is the thing and that teaching is important so now we have more and more teaching fellowships and mine is this golden ticket of permanent teaching fellowship and it's a a place that I really loved working at and that's all great but I also hate the titles thing because I lecture as part of the teaching fellowship amongst everything else I haven't got the title of lecturer and actually you don't really get that at Warwick anyway because they use the associate assistant professor associate professor 
Which is more of the American system. Yeah, right? which is the American system, but also a lot of them refer to themselves as like if you're telling someone what you're doing you'd say my job is as a lecturer in a university mm -hmm. and I guess that's the differentiation between little l I'm somebody <laughs> who lectures or am I a lecturer with a capital L because it's so strange because the idea of dividing it is, is, is the, sorry I'm just I, I'm, asked, I'm very pissed off at you as well <laughs> but this idea of having a teaching only job that the teaching doesn't require research or the teaching doesn't require you to have expertise knowledge or doesn't require you to kind of spend bloody hours preparing for a single hour of lecturing or it's just some sort of like thing that you can just pick up and do like it has a, if not an equivalent amount of research required to teach you just don't get paid to do it it's just you know or in terms of like your hours worked your um, workload model doesn't take into account any of that research time that feeds into your teaching and actually the job description was research-led teaching but without like the research allowance I have is for pedagogical research so I can use my I think it's five percent of time to five percent something like that yeah it's very I love it as well because that would be five percent of time but you know you can change your course to being remote in five percent of your time that'd be fine yeah. you don't need to do any extra work for that and I think it just comes down to all the the hierarchies in academia I mean I do think we should obviously recognize I, I do believe we should recognize progression and that people are at, you know have gone x far and done so many books and they're at this level but also when you're at the bottom this kind of tussling and I think that teach I in fact I know that people in the system look down on teaching fellowship compared to lecturer like somebody with a one year two year lectureship will somehow be considered a higher position than somebody with a permanent teaching fellowship now obviously that's not true at all and not everyone believes that but there is a snobbery and elitism in there there's a an instinct i think when people say this is my role to think that that's your identity and it isn't and i guess that academia kind of forces you to question your identity over and over and worry about it is a, a massive beef a massive massive beef if you could come up with your own title what would it be I mean, I mean, this is actually about titles in terms of like Doctor, Miss, Misses. I always wanted to be Admiral, so I think like <laughs> Admiral of Literature would be oh, uh, Admiral Fellow or something, which makes me sound very jolly. But there are some fellowships that are named after high-ranking officials. Like, I mean, there's one at Glasgow which is like the Lord Alden, uh, Alden, Lord Adam Kelvin. Carl, David, some other white man name um, <laughs> fellow. But I don't want to be called a Lord Kelvin person. Like, I don't want my name to become some dude's name. Admiral's pretty strong, though. Yeah, I mean, I wish that Queen was more of a, like, multiple people thing, because I like Queen. But I think that's kind of been taken by the monarchy, really. <laughs> what if it was K-W-E-E-N? Queen. Queen. I, I could go for that, because also, you know, spelling mistakes don't write things. That's not a mistake, so. Louise. 
as an atypical literacy, Alex. <laughs> I just feel that what we all are at the bottom is like literature bitch. <laughs> like not even in a cool way of like I'm the bitch of it. It's like I'm the the, the ones at the bottom doing like a lot of the grunt work kind. I think even the term like ECR, like when I said that I got this fellowship for people that are like not in academia and they're like, oh, what does ECR mean? Because I said it without even thinking. And I was like early career fellow and they're like, do they call you that? ECR is just basically an academic version of a surf let's be honest like that's all it is like when you pass your driving test and put on like p plates <laughs> which who the fuck does that and it is it's like oh i'm a new driver like be careful around me but that's like you put on the p plates after you've done 10 years of driving as a learner 10 years how long did you take to pass your test jen 10 years <laughs> No, I passed first time, I'll have you know. And, yes, after uh, 10 years, I would bloody hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess when I was 17, but now I'm like 34 and early careers, that makes me sound like I've just just stepped in off the plane and, you know. So if you could do one thing then to unfuck the academy, as we like to call it, what would you do? Like if you were in the position of top dog for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year, what is a policy you bring into place? Um, as Lord Admiral Kelvin, what would you do? <laughs> um, I think it has to be twofold. The first would be just randomly, I would make it mandatory that you had to enact kindness upon your colleagues and not just for the benefit of like you don't get any points for it you just have to do it and uh, <laughs> like, you must mentor other people well or you must like offer them cake and and stuff like that um so that would obviously be top of the bill like paying stuff forward is so important i've been in a position where i've received like, contracts and cover letters from various people to help oh, me out people. but like when i am in a position to do that for unnamed mysterious people thank you <laughs> mysterious co-hosts but yeah and you know and another academic sharing like big proposals and things like that and that's great and if i'm ever in the position where i can do that which hopefully will be in the next couple of years i will absolutely pay it forward but i think there's like one institution um I saw doing this sort of awards for collegiality within their departments, and one of the one of the criteria was like being nice to ECRs. <laughs> you're like, and you're like, oh, well done, guys, thanks. Um, but it's like, yeah, if we could have a sort of culture where we're, you yeah, know, a culture of kindness nice. would be really good. And like, and like you say, one where you don't do it because you're going to get a bloody award, but one where you do it because it's actually just really good to be nice. Yeah, but I feel like we have to mandate it because the fact is there's not enough. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I see a lot of it on Twitter and I would say I see a lot of it from female academics in particular. And also another beef is that it's ECRs. Like I've been trying to pay it forward, but that's more labour <laughs> that the ECRs are doing for ECRs. Because unless you're lucky enough to have good senior people that you know... I've seen so much of that on Twitter of people just helping people at random and that gives me some sort of hope for the academy in the future I think. I just hope that there isn't a point where we just transform into hideous older academics that don't give a fuck about UCRs. I hope that there's not some sort of I don't know induction ceremony into 
mid-career cuntship. Well, there's always, you know, as we've been talking about, there's always death. I mean, there's always death. Like, you know, become, become <laughs> the eternal ECR. It's fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think that's worse than the eternal child. <laughs> I suppose we just need to be those people that learn from the bad rather than um, perpetuating it, that you look at bad practice and think, I will never be, or I will strive to never be that PhD supervisor who doesn't bother with the students or favours like one student and doesn't look after the other or you know whatever it is that you think that is really poor practice and i hope to never be that person maybe i'll get someone to like cross stitch it into a message for me that's on my wall we'll publish this podcast as a pledge to not become cunts (laughs) hopefully if if we stay in academia yeah thou shalt not become a cunt (laughs) do you have anything that you would like us to plug I have a chapter in the Palgrave Handbook of Contemporary Gothic on pop-up books in the Gothic tradition. So if you have a spare $139, you can buy the whole thing. I think you can just purchase my chapter for something like $40 or something. So it's a real bargain. Or you can just get in touch with me. We've been Law My Praxis. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you download your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. A five-star output deserves five-star rating. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan, Dr. Amy Bromley. You can get in touch with us at lawmypraxis at gmail.com or at lawmypraxis on Twitter. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter W and the number 11. Our shape this week rhombus remember to tell all your friends with apologies for cross-posting please do not reply all bye coming up on lol my praxis dear diary today i was shown some horses they were broadly speaking indifferent good night we are joined by dr alice tarbuck i like things that stand up fold out and have barely any words on them at all please shut up now jen thank you